Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. All right, Chris, thank you for coming on the show today. Super excited to chat with you again. It's been a few years since we last spoke, and so uh, excited to get to catch up here and uh, hear your journey and hear about your new book here on the show today. Um, but for everyone in the audience who doesn't know who you are, and uh, can you give us like the 60-second overview on uh, who is Chris Kelso and what are you doing these days? Sure. Yeah, Jake, it's great to catch up with you again and uh, great to be on the on the show with you. I'm a, a two-time entrepreneur turned executive coach. Uh, so I founded and ran two different companies over the last 14 years, uh, really for about 10 years. And, and then about three, three to four years ago, I started working independently with other founders and leaders of small businesses uh, as a coach, as a mentor, uh, and doing some leadership development with their teams. So I often work one-on-one with owners and operators or with the entire leadership team doing things like goal setting and strategy, um, execution, looking at talent, looking at, uh, you know, where their focus is, making sure everybody's aligned and keeping them on a cadence of accountability and progress. That's awesome. And, um, and I know like your just your LinkedIn background credentials are uh, insane and the companies and the people you've worked with and advised and everything. And I know if, uh, you know, I, 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 we met in the Nashville area and, you've worked with every big name, uh, it looks like in the area. And so um, I'm curious, you know, what was like the the journey look like? Maybe can you kind of give us some context? Um, I know a bit about healthcare blocks, but what was the, the other company that you ran and founded? And how did sure. that kind of transition into all this advising and everything? So my first business was an IT consulting firm. And for some background context there, I was a software developer 20 years ago in the healthcare industry. Um, but started to move into more and more management and leadership uh, roles. And I started in 2017 or or 2007, sorry, a um, IT consulting firm and uh, started to work with companies that were going through transitions or doing M&A activity or um, really a lot of our work ended up being with companies that had a struggling dysfunctional IT department and needed solid leadership and structure. And so we would come in and uh, often take over an IT department for a period of time, um, reorganize it, assess the talent, put in a lot of systems and communication improvement, and eventually hire, recruit, and replace uh, ourselves as leadership to put a full-time CIO or director of IT in place. And the interesting thing that, that happened during that period was 
I started to see that we could do really great work in an IT department, but if there was dysfunctional leadership at the top of the organization, all of our great work would eventually erode away because the culture flows from the top down. And so there was a very um, distinctive moment that I remember from years ago where I decided one day I'm going to work at the very top level of organizations. I'm going to work with the owners, the board of directors, and the C-suite because I want to affect change at the top because uh, it will flow downward from there and I can affect the entire organization rather than just one department. So it was an intentional decision to move in the direction of leadership development and working with CEOs. Uh, but it took a while to get there. And along that journey was co-founding a second company and running that uh, as CEO for a few years and uh, working with a lot of investors and doing some turnarounds and and things like that along the way. Yeah, it's uh, incredible and uh, and quite a journey there. And um, and maybe you, can you give us also the quick background on just kind of healthcare blocks, what you did there whenever that that kind of journey. And I guess I'm, I'm also just curious, you know, kind of what happened with the company and, and how that how that all went there. Yeah, Healthcare Blocks is a cloud computing platform built for the healthcare industry. And I co-founded the company along with uh, my partner, Phil Mishovitz, who uh, was the original technologist and creator behind the platform. And uh, Phil still runs the company today. I was uh, CEO for several years and then was on the board for a little while. Um, But I'm no longer operationally involved in that company. I still have a stake in it and uh, still support Phil and, and, and encourage him to continue to growing that company. Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm a a stakeholder there and I'm working with a bunch of other businesses, uh, around the middle Tennessee and really around the country at this point. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's just super interesting to see the journey. And, uh, I love that decision to just work at the top of the organizations and just taking the jump. And it seems like you've done that with your career and it's, it's really fascinating and, and, which I think ties into your book where that's quite a thing to say of just being like, oh, I'm running an IT company. And then I'm going to just, you know, go work at the C-suite and board member level, which um, I think, you know, takes some level of confidence, takes uh, something there, which ties into your um, entire book on the imposter syndrome here. So can you maybe give us um, the quick overview of uh, the book really quick? And then I want to dive into like how that plays into that decision you made with your journey there. Yeah. So the book is called Overcoming the Imposter, and it is a book about imposter syndrome and in particular how it impacts entrepreneurs. Um, Imposter syndrome, for anybody who's not familiar with that term, it's a psychological term that was coined in the 1970s. And it refers to the tendency of many people, it turns out, to doubt the reality of their own success. And what happens is we overinflate or overvalue other people's success that we see around us and we undervalue our own accomplishments. And there's sort of a feeling that maybe I'm not what everyone thinks I am, that, you know, maybe Jake is successful because he's smart and he's savvy and he's made all the right moves. And, you know, he's just really knows how to run his business. Whereas my success is more the result of a lot of luck and timing and things have just kind of fallen my way. And, and, you know, I know that there's a lot of mistakes that I made along the way that really could have bit me, but I just managed to figure my way through it and to and to work it out. And so the underlying fear of imposter syndrome is that eventually everyone around me or someone around me is going to figure out that I'm not what I seem to be and I'm really just a fraud. And at that point, you know, it's all going to come crumbling down. My, my career is going to be in shambles because I'm going to be just revealed as 
the one guy that doesn't deserve to be at this table or in this group or among these people that I, that I hang out with. And so that's a feeling that I've experienced at many times in my career, um, particularly when I started my first company, um, A, I had no formal business training. I, I don't even have a college degree, never went to college. Um, and so everything I know, everything I knew about business initially, I learned from a stack of books that I bought from a bookstore because I just thought, well, I need to figure out how to run a company. So I'll go buy a bunch of books on finance and marketing and sales and, and all these kind of things and just start reading them. And, uh, but I always kind of worried that there was, there was going to be some business concept, some key principle that was taught on the very first day of business school that was going to come up in a conversation and I would be completely ignorant and everybody would suddenly go, wait a minute, you're not a real business guy. You don't know what you're talking about. So that's, that's sort of the feeling of imposter syndrome. And I wrote this book because as I studied imposter syndrome for the last couple of years and started talking with entrepreneurs in particular about it, I, I realized that it is incredibly pervasive. Many people feel that way but very few people are talking about it. And in fact, the thing that, uh, that imposter syndrome causes you to fear is vulnerability, is honesty, is, is opening up and admitting that you have a weakness, an insecurity, uh, or a fear. And so it's a sort of a self-reinforcing problem because if you have imposter syndrome, but you're afraid to admit it because you're afraid of being exposed, you don't talk about it. And then the person next to you who has imposter syndrome and is afraid to admit it and afraid to talk about it thinks you don't experience it, which reinforces that idea that they're the only one that feels this way. So I really wrote the book to sort of just blow open that, that myth, that, that uh, mistaken uh, view that entrepreneurs are all brave and bold and secure. And they all know exactly what they're doing at all times because Jake, you and I both know that's not reality. No, it's uh, definitely true. And it's something I've uh, felt a ton where um, I think throughout my career as an entrepreneur, I had really early days when I was really young, I kind of had what it was like, I was really successful, like a college business. And by all means, like by all my students, I was like super successful, things were rocking. And then like, I kind of floundered for a few years and was like, oh God, like, I don't actually know what I'm doing after I like exited that first right. company. And then I had another one that finally was like a success. And um, that company's still around today, Lead Cookie, but it grew really fast. And I was like, all right, I'm going to launch another one because, like, uh, you know, Lead Cookie had some issues with the business model. I'm going to launch another one in, like, and I'm like almost two and a half, three years in to Content Allies now, which is like my third, I guess, real company. Yeah. And I am like just now hitting the revenue target of what I hit in six months with Lead Cookie. And it was like this thing where I was like, wow, like, I like, you know, you think and like, there's this interesting thing where like, sometimes you have this like overinflated ego because you hit something really well. And then on the other flip side, and you're like, well, I wasn't able to do it again. And so like, <laughs> like then all these so maybe things, maybe it was all up. a fluke. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it, it just, it becomes this like mentally toxic, weird thing that um, messes with your confidence. And then you start seeing yeah. other people pass you up and like, you're just like, and for some reason that you care that they're passing you up. So I, I can relate yeah, on a yeah. lot of it there. <laughs> One of the concepts that I talk about in the book is proud insecurity. And that is this, <clears throat> this very disjointed um, mental state where you are 
you have this inner insecurity. You're worried that, you know, maybe that you don't actually know what you're doing and, and, and that you're, you know, concerned with being uncovered or exposed. And, and so you compensate with that, with, um, with pride, with arrogance, with trying to, you know, put it, portray an outward uh, picture of being really, really self-assured. And, and then you go through those phases where you have a lot of success and you really kind of rest on those laurels and, and, and get assured of yourself. And then you have another experience where it's a failure or maybe it just doesn't live up to the, the, the goals that you set. And, and so then you, you have this mental whiplash, this mental and emotional, uh, you know, back and forth that can just really wear on an entrepreneur. Um, and, and not just entrepreneurs, but a lot of people can experience that. And so I talk about a little bit in the book, the journey towards the opposite end of the spectrum, which if, if proud insecurity is on one side, then the other end is humble confidence, which is a place where you believe in yourself, you believe in your abilities, but you also recognize that uh, there's you know, there's always luck and timing involved. There's always external circumstances. You're not going to win them all. You're not going to lose them all. Um, and that failure is part of the process of getting to success and that you just take those things in stride and you learn from them. Uh, but you don't allow your you know ego to be overinflated, nor do you allow the fear and insecurity to take hold. You just operate in a humble confidence that I can do this, but it's not always going to be perfect. And I'm always not always going to get it right. Yeah, I love that. And I guess one question then would be, I guess, why is this like so prevalent among entrepreneurs? And like, is this prevalent among everybody? Or is it just really like heavy among business owners and entrepreneurs where you're kind of in this uh, world was kind of make yourself kind of thing? Or what are your thoughts there? So statistically, so several studies have shown that up to 70% of the population experiences imposter syndrome at some point in their career. And, but it also tends to be higher, more prevalent among high achievers. So the more ambitious you are, the more aggressive, the more you're pushing the boundaries and trying new things, the more likely you are to feel like an imposter at times. And so in my experience among entrepreneurs, uh, and I've coached hundreds of entrepreneurs and worked with lots of different companies, I think it's even higher than that. I think it's probably in the 90s percentage wise. Um, and, and I think there's three reasons why entrepreneurs are particularly susceptible to imposter syndrome. Number one is that they are pushing the boundaries. They're, entrepreneurs by nature are trying new things, are creating things that didn't exist, are they're taking risks. And anytime you're taking a risk and you're doing something new, uh, it's easy to feel like you don't actually know what you're doing because a lot of the time you don't, you're figuring it out along the way. And one of the things that I had to learn on my journey that the, was that the ability to figure things out on the fly is not a weakness, it's a strength. When I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm making progress, that's actually a great thing. That's actually something I should be proud of and feel good about because there, there are a lot of people who just can't do that or can't feel confident and comfortable doing that. So entrepreneurs are always sort of breaking new ground, forging new territory, and that puts them in the path of uncertainty and, and sometimes insecurity. The second reason is that entrepreneurs are often celebrated as superheroes. And, you know, we get a lot of kudos and admiration and accolades. And uh, a CEO named Toby Thomas said that, uh, 
said, an entrepreneur is like a man riding on a lion. Everyone around the man is saying, wow, that guy's amazing. He's so brave. I can't believe that. I wish I had the guts to do what that guy is doing. And yet the entire time, the man on the lion is thinking, how in the world did I end up on a lion? And how do I keep from being eaten by it? Yep. (laughs) That's a great metaphor. and, (laughs) And so... So many times when I was getting, you know, accolades or awards or verbal high fives or, you know, admiration for what I've done as an entrepreneur on the inside, I was freaking out just a little bit Um, because what, what looks to others like strength and, and courage and resolve sometimes feels to me like a series of near catastrophes. And so, you know, we have this external input that tells us that everyone thinks we're something that we know we're not. And that can feed that imposter syndrome. Uh, The third reason why entrepreneurs are particularly susceptible is that entrepreneurs are almost always in sales mode. And if they're not selling their product or service, then they're selling their vision to potential employees or people that they want to join their team or partner with them. Or they may be pitching investors and trying to raise money and get support. So they're always pitching their idea, their vision for the future. They're trying to get people to see it. And the problem with all that selling is, you know, the entrepreneur, you know that the thing that you're talking about is it's doable, but it's aspirational. It's not a reality yet. You're trying to get there. And you know that there's a lot of cracks under the surface. There's a lot of, you know, putty and glue and duct tape underneath the shiny exterior of what you're putting out there. Your product may not be fully baked. Your service is not completely fleshed out, but, but you're out there selling it because that's what entrepreneurs do. And so that, that combination of things, entrepreneurs are forging new ground. They're, they're creating things that are new and learning along the way. They're celebrated as heroes and they're selling things that they know are not quite what they want them to be, all of that just compiles to make them really feel like, boy, I'm not what everyone thinks that I am. And I may be uh, underqualified. And and as I look around at all these other entrepreneurs, they seem to really have it all together because hint, hint, they're in sales mode. They seem to really have it all together. And I know that I don't have it all together. So that's that feeling. But the, the truth is almost every entrepreneur you encounter is in that exact same position. As I'm curious, um, I guess going back to like your story, um, you know, where you make this decision to work at like the C level, like again, while you're you're running an IT company, but like that's a big jump to then go and start consulting and advising at a C level of company. And I'm curious, like how that played out, because like that is got to be massive imposter. Then when you start walking into these rooms and start saying like even going out there, it's almost like. Uh, and I think that this is this thing that like, like you have to do at times as an entrepreneur of just be like, I like, I'm going to be this, like, look like this person until people start treating me like this person, which is like really like imposter that you then have to eventually get over at some level. And, um, I'm curious, I guess maybe how that played out as you like made that transition in your career. Yeah. Well, you know, it was interesting because in the time that I was mostly doing it consulting, I was regularly finding myself in the boardroom of companies, you know, explaining to a C-suite or a board of directors what was going on with their technology and why they weren't getting the results that they wanted. And the more that I did that, um, the more that I started to see how 
technology is a tool, but it has to be applied to the right business strategy. And so I started, instead of answering questions to those boards, I started asking questions about, you know, what does the technology need to do for you and why? What are you trying to accomplish with your business? And I had even some situations where, you know, companies would hire me and my firm to do some things in the technology arena, but they, they weren't completely open and honest with us about where they were going as a company and what we ended up doing ended up not being the right thing. And so uh, I realized that the the business strategy has got to be clear before you can properly apply technology and technology teams and, and all of those things to a business. And so um, I just began to lean into those conversations. I tried to learn as much as I could. Um, most of my career has been a learning process and I have pursued learning and, and, and pursued information and ideas about the things that I'm curious about. And business has definitely been one of those. And so I, I very distinctly made sort of a mental shift when I went from being a technology guy who happened to own a business to becoming a business owner who happened to know a lot about technology. And I, it, it was no longer the tech that fascinated and interested me. I didn't want to talk about the technology. I didn't want to geek out on the technology. I wanted to talk about the business and what the business objectives were. So, you know, in, in, in one way, Jake, that was a, a, a driven by my interests and my desires and my fascination, my curiosity. Um, and then it became an intentional decision of, okay, I'm, I'm becoming a different person. I'm becoming a different type of professional. And the things that are gonna fuel me and energize me and keep me going are in this direction, the direction of the business strategy and the C-suite. And so, that's what I've got to pursue. And uh, it took several years, it took many years, and it took a lot of steps along the way to get there, including running a second company. Um, and, and by the way, that second company that I co-founded and ran, I was not the technology guy. My partner was the primary uh, technologist, the CTO. I put myself squarely in the business role uh, and focused on sales and marketing and, and business growth because that was the direction that I wanted to, to move and where I wanted to build experience and credibility. So um, it was a series of very intentional decisions saying that's where my passion is and that's where I think I can make the biggest difference, but I've got to work my way there and I've got to earn my way there. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I'm curious, you know, for you, do you still walk into, you know, these advising meetings where you're working with the C-suite or advisors? Do you still have that imposter syndrome hitting you when you walk in the room and uh, you know, like you're sitting around a table of a bunch of people running a business way bigger than anything you've run? Like, does that hit you at times? You know, it, I can't say that it completely goes away and 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 that I've you know never experienced that. Certainly as you build, as you gain experience and you get comfortable with doing something over and over again, that feeling of being an imposter diminishes because you, you have the credibility and the track record and you can kind of look back at your own career and say, yeah, I am credible and I have the experience to prove that this is what I can do. Where it tends to creep up is anytime I'm doing something new. And for instance, this is my first book, Overcoming the Imposter. I had huge battles with imposter syndrome about being an author and writing a book. And, you know, of course, the irony there is I'm writing a book about imposter syndrome and I'm feeling like an imposter because... <laughs> I don't feel like I'm an author. I'm a business guy. And, and then the fact that I feel 
imposter syndrome about writing a book makes me feel unqualified to write a book about overcoming imposter syndrome. So um, I, I even talk about in the book that I had to use some of my own techniques, some of the things that I write about in there to help myself change my thinking and realize that I can write this book. I can be an author. Um, I brought the right team around me. I got the expertise I needed. I learned things along the way and figured that out, but it does, it does continue to creep up. And part of the, the main point of the book towards the end is that this is not a one-time battle. You don't just defeat that inner critic and make it go away forever. Uh, you get control of it. You learn how to harness it and actually use it for good. Uh, but then every time you attempt something new, and if you're like me, I'm always learning. I'm always trying new things. I'm always going to be, uh, you know, experimenting with something. There's always that doorway for that inner critic to creep in again and say, you are not qualified to do what you're about to attempt to do. And so you have to learn to manage that and, and, and anticipate it and then know what to do with it when it comes. Yeah, and I guess a question that comes to mind is, you know, like, what is the downside of not paying attention to this? You know, like what happens if you just like let the imposter syndrome go, you're not paying attention to this. Mm. Um, like how have you seen, or what is that? How does that really play out for people? Boy, it, it, it can become debilitating um, because it causes you to fear risk-taking. It causes you to fear failure and especially public failure, which means you're not going to try things where you don't feel like the odds are very much in your favor. And, you know, the, the magic happens outside of our comfort zone. And if we get constrained by our own thought process to, I've got to stay in my comfort zone, I've got to stay where I'm really confident, um, then what's possible is going to be very limited in our lives. So it can, it can really put boundaries around us. And, and sadly, those are boundaries we create for ourselves. No one else is putting those boundaries on. It's all kind of in our heads. Um, and, uh, but it can be even worse than that. I, I tell one story in, in the book about uh, a, a guy who actually, you know, ended up getting himself fired because he just sort of self-sabotaged his career, his job, uh, because he let those doubts kind of creep in and it led to things like procrastination and not responding and avoiding the leadership of the company and executives. And then, you know, he eventually was kind of tasked with this very important uh, job to do and he just blew it because it was all self-doubt. It was all uh, a, a failure avoidance cycle in his head. Um, fortunately, he learned that lesson. He got hired on with a different company and he had some great leadership that took them under his wing and it really encouraged him and built his confidence. Um, but looking back, he was able to see that, man, that job was mine for the taking. It was wonderful, but I just, I just blew it because I, I didn't believe that I was capable, even though the people that hired me told me they hired me because I was capable. That's interesting. That reminds me of whenever um, I was actually hitting the early success with uh, Lead Cookie. Um, so my guess, my, my second company that had a decent level of success. And I was working with an advisor at the time. And uh, he called this out on me because I was just like, it's like, it's all going to crumble. Like, I just was like, thought, I was like, this is like, and he's like, no, no, no. Like, you're staring down the barrel of success. You just have to keep executing. And it was like, I was just like convinced at any moment, like, I was going to wake up to a fire and it was all going to crumble down. Like, and that was yeah. like pervasive yeah. for, for months, um, maybe even like more than like a year or two where that was just like this consistent thought in my head. And it took me a while to realize eventually I was like, no, no, like, 
I built this thing like a stable. I've got a company that's running and paying and money every month. Like I have done this like, and it's, but it's weird. And what I realized actually um, in that journey was um, I had actually sabotaged a few other like um, companies that I don't really talk about that much, but I had some other things along the way where like, I got these companies up to like 20, 25 K MRR. And then like within like six months I got there, I was like, Oh no, no, no. And I just like burned it all down. And I did that like three times before lead cookie where I was like, I finally had someone being like, don't screw it up, but just like stay focused. And, uh, and it was just like this really, this interesting thing that I learned when I look back, I was like, Oh, that's actually like a a pretty, that was actually a pretty good business I had there, but I just, I just burned that thing down. Like, (laughs) And I think that's one of the things that can happen when you're not comfortable with it. It is. Yeah. The self-sabotage sometimes gets us uh, more and worse than external circumstances and factors. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we blow it for ourselves. And so it's just, it's a mindset. You've, you've got to, you've got to control and manage your thinking and not let those thoughts of doubt uh, take hold and, and direct you and put limits on you. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, well, I guess for anyone, um, who is struggling with imposter syndrome right now? Like what advice do you have for someone who is uh, listening to this, they're resonating with it, they're feeling this in their own level. Like what are some of the steps that you actually recommend for someone to start to cope with this? So the first thing is awareness helps a ton. Most of the time when I talk to somebody about imposter syndrome, if they've never heard of it, it's like a huge aha moment. You can just see it on their face of, Oh my goodness. So that's a thing. And, and other people experience it. It's not just me. Um, so know that you're not alone. Know that this is very common. And, and even I would say know that it's a sign. It's a good sign because it's a sign that you're pushing your boundaries and stretching yourself. And it's also a sign that you're not so overconfident um, that you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot left and right because of, of pride. Right. The, the opposite, Jake, of what you just described of that fear, the, 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 the complete opposite of that is so much confidence that you think you can do anything and you go try to jump off buildings and, and take bullets. And, and that's also really, really dangerous. Um, so you don't want to be, you know, so full of yourself that you think you're indestructible and you make really foolish decisions. So recognize that imposter syndrome is not entirely bad, but you have to get it under control. And you do that in part by being part of a community, being connected with other people. And there's a key ingredient uh, that makes community work for you rather than against you. And I'm just going to go ahead and give it to your podcast listeners, Jake. It's the ingredient is vulnerability. When you're part of a community where there is no vulnerability, when you're surrounded by other entrepreneurs and other people and no one's being honest and open, and they're all just putting that sales pitch face on, it's going to feed imposter syndrome. It's going to make it worse. It's going to exacerbate it. It's going to just pile on the doubt in your mind because you're going to see this very polished exterior of everyone else. And you're comparing the reality of your own life to a false version of everything else. But if you get into a community, a group of people where they're open and honest and transparent, where there's vulnerability and it's safe to express fears and doubts and weaknesses and to talk about the things that you need to work on, you'll start to hear from others that the the challenges you face are the same as the challenges that everyone else faces, that people have faced before you, that people are facing alongside you today and people will continue to face. And they're not insurmountable. They're they're, they're, They're not weaknesses that you can't overcome. They're just steps 
on the path to success. And being with people who are willing to be open and vulnerable will encourage you um, and it allow you to, to share your concerns and have other people go, yeah, that's okay. We can get through that. It's not a big deal. And you realize that, oh man, I've built this, this, this one flaw or this one weakness or this one challenge. I've built it up in my mind as this fatal, insurmountable obstacle. And yet here's three or four other people telling me that, no, nah, we've all been through that and we got through it just fine and let's help you together. And, uh, and that'll really help you to overcome those feelings of being a fraud and, and being an imposter. Nice. Love that. Uh, awesome. Um, so as we wrap up here, I always like to ask this kind of final question here at the end of, you know, if you could go back five, 10 years to your younger self, um, you know, what advice would you give yourself on your entrepreneurial journey there? You know, I think the, the biggest thing I would say is to never, ever allow the fear of failure to prevent you from trying something. And, and, and really more specifically to recognize that failure is part of the path to success. Every success story has a series of failures along the way. And if you fear failure, you're going to refuse to take step number one or step number two or step number three on a mile long journey to your success. And you can't allow those failures along the way to, to hold you back. You can't allow it to, to push you into a, a place of being so risk averse that you never want to try anything until you're 100% ready. Um, and, and even more than that, I would say that you need to lean into failure and recognize that we learn more from failure than we do from success. So if you're avoiding failure, you're avoiding learning. You're avoiding the lessons and the valuable wisdom uh, that comes from trying and failing and getting back up and trying again. And those are the things that sustain you in the long run as an entrepreneur. And you need those failures. They're an important part of your story, not something to be avoided and certainly not something to be swept under the rug and, and hidden and, uh, and ignored. Nice. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing, Chris. Uh, for anyone in the audience who wants to find out more about your book or more about you online, what's the best place for them to go? Yeah, there's two websites. Uh, OvercomingTheImposter.com is all about the book and my keynote speech that I'm delivering at conferences and events around this topic. Um, also, ChrisKelso.com, and that's Chris with a K, K-R-I-S-K-E-L-S-O.com. You can read about me specifically, my coaching work, and some of the leadership development work I do. And then I'm uh, fairly active on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and social sites like that. So I'm, I'm really not very hard to find as long as you know that my name starts with a K. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, thank you for coming on here, Chris. Amazing stuff here and appreciate you taking the time. Jake, it's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.